0: Welcome to the Atom Podcast, where we have conversations with a range of business owners from across the globe and discuss their challenges, triumphs and failures when they try to build and grow their own business. In addition, we talk about the latest trends in tech and generate anything that we feel is relevant for today's tech-savvy audience. Welcome to the Atom CTO podcast. As ever, my name is Byron Patel, the Managing Director of Atom CTO. And today I'm here with a very, very special guest, Jan Cavell. Say hello, Jan.
1: Hi, I'm delighted to be back with you.
0: Uh, So for the regular listeners, you'll know that Jan wrote Scale for Success. And so we're kind of in a weird way going backwards. So we're we're going back to the beginning. Start for Success is where you start. And and I read this now last week. Uh, I read it fairly quickly and I, I definitely know I need to read it again. But, you know, when I was reading through it, there were so many pieces of advice and so many stories that resonated with me and then echoed me. And I like you know, when I finished it, I thought, wow, well, this is this kind of combines all of the years of experience I've had, let's say twenty odd years of experience, into one book and it, it's phenomenal. And you could still learn things, which is the the most amazing thing, is that some of the stories that you hear are so personal and so 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 kind of raw that you you really can not only empathize with people but and, and relate to them, but learn from from those experiences so before we get into the book which i know i really want to do and, and kind of outline what it is why on earth did you write another book uh given the, the the horrors of writing the first one
1: i i ask myself that fairly regularly particularly as it was a miles bigger project um uh, you know with as you say so many people involved so many stories uh, and there were moments when I questioned myself as to the sense of, of the size of the thing. I, it was always in my mind when I first got the idea for start, for scale rather, sorry, i <laughs> I type them back to front now too. Um, for scale success, uh, I talked to Bloomsbury originally about um, the idea for both. And they very much wanted to go for scale first, which, as you say, is, is in some ways back to front. But on the other hand, actually, I think the timing is much better for start now because I think so many people in this economy are going to be starting up. I mean, they always are, but even more than ever. So, so I think actually this is a good moment for start. So I think it's done us a favour in many ways. But I wanted to... So I don't know if if it happens to you. I'm sure it does as well. People come up to you and say, "Well, you know, sort of, what's it like being an entrepreneur?" Or they tell you what it's like being an entrepreneur, and they have actually no idea. Mm. You know, it's it's yeah. so far removed from the reality, and you know, a lot of the books are written. I mean, some of them are absolutely brilliant, but they may be focusing on one point, or they may be quite puffed up piece really and very few of them actually give people an idea of what the real life of an entrepreneur is and, and i was very keen to try and get that over um in in the book
0: so one of the things actually that resonates with me there is the um is the fact that a lot of people that you know write books or who give advice haven't really been through it or through it enough right and i think that's what this book solves because everyone yeah. who's who's talking about it has has been through it and has been through it probably a number of times uh, and again i think that's why this is so so valuable for people who are who are looking to start up because the other thing is i what i really like here is that you emphasize businesses that aren't necessarily i mean they some of them are very well-known brands but there's a lot of companies in there that are just smaller right mm-hmm. and oftentimes you the books that you get in this space are all written by people who've made a billion dollars right and their journey is not very typical there was there's one book i remember called bit scaling which has become uh, a big book and and essentially they the solution to their problems are go to silicon valley raise a billion dollars right this is not you know practical yeah. for most people who start a business so so it, it, this is very very refreshing and very real and raw and so i think it's um it's fantastic so let's let's get into it um the the whole journey starts off with why do you start a business and kind of ends with uh you know how how you can stay on top of things right so so let's talk about that arc and let's start with some of the points around why and it'll be good for during this arc to kind of highlight some of the main stories that you know you felt were were very useful so one thing that got me the two things actually got me on the why bit were motivation for starting a business and actually the values and the vision and mission and you're quite harsh on people that just say be the best when it comes to vision and mission which i think is is quite right but you know for you well, talking through with the other entrepreneurs, what did you see as a kind of the main traits for why they started a business in the first place?
1: I think oddly, oddly enough, um, I, I, I was looking at a clip from the launch um, event this morning and one of the entrepreneurs was talking about this and saying, it's not necessarily, there's so many reasons. Some of them can be something really huge, you know, like we talk about in the book with the Canadian guy whose, whose daughter is injured, or oh, daughter-in-law is, Cody is, is injured and becomes a paraplegic and he desperately wants to help, help and doesn't know how and ends up running this, this amazing pharma company doing incredible um investigations and in the hope of, of curing not just that but MS and all sorts of things. Um, you know, now that's a, a a an amazing story, but it's way, way out of there and it's not again the reality for a lot of people. A lot of people do it because they are fed up with their lives or they want something more out of life or they simply need to feed their family. You know, there's a lot of whys out there and there's a slight tendency to over-glamorize the why that we've got to impact on the world, it, it isn't the real truth for lots of people and that doesn't matter in the least as long as you know your reason and it's a good enough
0: one for you. No, and that, I think that's that's what comes out, right, is that a lot of people start off with a burning passion, right? They they There's something that they, they know there's a problem they want to solve, they try and solve it one way kind of pivot and move and solving it a different way but it's not it it's, it's not kind of trying to save the world it's trying to see a specific problem where they know that they there is something that they can do to impact that and then they they go for it but you're right also there's the, the there's the others that are kind of just very let's say pissed off with what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and want to try and do something different but you know i guess in a sense what is what is interesting is to see the that reality and this is what you kind of to bring out quite a lot in the book is that you know if you're coming into it thinking that you're pissed off with work and want to go and do something else and make lots of money, this is not necessarily the not right answer view, really.
1: no so. no, it's a big mistake, and I think people who don't do it oddly enough are more obsessed with that than people who do do it uh and it's interesting what stops from maybe a lack of reality in the first place. I'm not sure most people go into it for. But the life balance, the lifestyle, the burning white or whatever, but very, very few get to go into it to be wealthy rich, actually. Um, no, think, it's, but, but not many.
0: No, and uh, you end up kind of, it's a nice, it's, it's nice that it's a nice idea, but ultimately yeah. you end up being quite comfortable, which is fine, uh, which is what you aim for. Right. But again, I think that's another thing that's quite interestingly stressed within the book is that, you know, you have to make money. You know, it's not, you're not running a charity.
1: No, and I think that was something I saw in both books was, you know, people had started off with very altruistic ideas, you know, particularly actually a couple of them in scale. And, you know, they were going to put world to rights, which is fantastic. And both of them are still trying to do that. But they changed from models that were purely going to sort of break even, providing it did that and achieve things into actually, if we're going to sustainably Change the world. We need a model that makes money and is a good business. Uh, And you know, I think that's also a sharp learning curve. I know that I remember doing um, sort of Dragon STEM type things around unis at one stage a few years ago, and there were a lot of lovely people with very altruistic ideas, but absolutely no clue as to the even the vaguest theory that they were going to have to make money to do it
0: and that's the that's the strange thing i i come across people like that all the time where Mm. it's great intentions but you know to be honest to sustain a business you have to be able to make money and grow right and then use profits to feed back into the business otherwise you can only really help a few people and not as many as you as you expect yeah Uh, so let's talk about the get onto the missions and, and and value like like i said you were very um harsh against people who have let's airy fairy missions that say the things that aren't that concrete. What in well, your what in your view is a good set of values and missions?
1: Uh, Mission. uh, real ones that, you know, are true to the owner. I don't think it matters to hang what they are, but um you know, uh, I, I, it's interesting you sound harsh about that. It's, it makes me laugh because between you and I, or clearly not between you and I as this goes out, but i that was a section that I had wrote at the same time as the rest of the book, and I panicked under copyright laws because I've got a lot of fairly big names in there as examples and pulled it right at the last minute. So I wrote it in a fair fury of, you know, of, I'm going to have to play safe and replace this section. So probably that was coming out in my bad temper. But, uh, but yeah, for all that, I mean, I do think, um, I do get frustrated with businesses who think that values and mission statement are something that are to impress other people. Um, I mean, I guess I get fairly frustrated with people who think life is about a other people, if I was to be honest. But, but yeah, it doesn't work. It's not what it's about. It's got to be true to you. And it doesn't matter if it's fun or serious or crazy or inventive or, you know, genuinely aiming for excellence. But don't put excellence if you're not bothered. You know, I, it's just it's got to be true gotta be true
0: 100 percent. so out of the all of the people that you've interviewed right how many like what percentage were uh, co-founders and how many were solopreneurs was it kind of a good even balance
1: um it was a pretty even balance thinking back i need to sort of actually listen to to think about that one but i think i'd say it was probably a a pretty even balance
0: and what difference did you see if any between them when they were running their businesses was a big difference in them
1: Gosh, um, isn't that funny? It's a sort of angle I've never thought of uh, looking at it like that. Uh, I think, I think it's probably quite hard for me to judge because I, you know, I'm very focused on on the person when I interview somebody and, get, and get, try and get to know them, you know, and because I feel quite protective about people in in at any of my books or even an interview. You know, Hmm. I want them to come over well um, without being in any way sort of gilded, but but I want to do my best job for them. Um, So I'm very, very concentrating on that one person. So I probably can't answer all that, honestly.
0: Well, I guess where I'm coming from is I don't need to know if they're all the solopreneurs or sociopaths or not. It's more along the lines of, are, are, are they, you know... Was there a kind of certain balance in the co-founders and was there kind of like a certain energy that you got as a solopreneur? Because you have to do so much more by yourself, right? If you're, if you're we do, on your own. We do.
1: Um, and, uh, of course, you know, there are pluses and minuses and, and you've got a story in there yourself that you kind of gave me, mm. uh, you know, which is almost going to cure anybody of having found the co-founders, I think. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it is difficult. I think that, you know, the conclusion I came to in the book is that pluses and minuses and I still stand by that. You know, I've seen some terrible uh, disasters with co-founders myself. But, you know, that said, uh, uh, you know, literally on, on Facebook, I think in one of the groups, but, you know, last night or the night before, somebody was going, you know, I've got this co-founder who doesn't do anything and is crippling my business and doing terrible things. How do I get out of it? And we okay. Have you got a funder's agreement? And it happens again and again and again. Yeah. People rush into these deals and then realize that they've got a real problem. So I think so, only somebody with knowledge or having done a lot of research should take on a co founder, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like, again, reading some of your stories in there, it's, it's make sure that you've got the documentation in place, right? It is yeah, like absolutely. An so let's talk about fear. Fear is uh, Fear comes up in the book. And I think that's great that you kind of, named it because yeah. it is you have the fear of failure you have the fear of um social you know imposter syndrome all of these kinds of things did you i mean the people that you you know I, i've seen i've been through the obviously the you know the uh the launch event and the both launch events and what kind of struck me uh, everyone who's there there doesn't seem to be an outward perception of any kind of fear for any of the guys that that kind of you talk to but obviously internally there's probably something right we all have a little bit of doubt so what did you you know is there that kind of on the outside everyone's looking amazing and but inside they're all crumbling <laughs> it
1: look- oh i think yeah i mean you know if if when you're chatting to them the majority of them will admit they often still think they don't know what they're doing you know, which is of course typical of, of people with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, or they get nervous or fear or whatever. Um, you know, and certainly at the beginning, you know, there's always doubts, but I, I, for me, I think, you know, actually success can bring a lot more doubts because if you're, if you're not overly confident to start with, uh, you know, but you're prepared to give it everything, that's one thing you're up against it. But it's when often entrepreneurs get to a successful stage, they start getting unnerved by things going well. And that's when the imposter syndrome can kick in worse in a way. How did I get the success? Do I deserve the success?
0: Well, that is, you see exactly, you've taken the words out of my mouth because you often get to a point where you see, look around you think, well, how, how did this happen? Yes. Because <laughs> you, you, you're not quite sure whether you did it, whether it's just complete luck that occurred. or And obviously it's a combination of both. It's not... Mm. You, it's hard work and a little bit of luck but you you get there and you think well because in your head you're still that person who started that business right and yeah um yeah you're not really someone you're not you're not thinking you're that actual person who now employs 30 40 people and Mm -hmm. you know doing multi-million pound pound business it's still that that person who kind of had to bootstrap it but um you know for from your perspective was there any with the fear was there kind of any kind of major debilitating fear or anything that there you know people should be aware of uh like so if you're listening to this podcast and and you're thinking of starting a business i know for me it's kind of that the fear of failure is something i hear a lot for people who yeah. before they get into being entrepreneurs um so what's the kind of main thing that was a common theme then and how do people get over it
1: i think you know that a huge fear of failure before you do it and there's also the fear of Changing course, be it completely pivoting, remaking, or or actually stopping and doing something else, be it for yourself or somebody else, you know, all those things are come under the heading of fear of failure, uh, and it's so easy to get paralysed and go on not making the change because it's too frightening. You think the world is going to fall in if you do that. Uh, uh, you know, or if, or if you take the plunge and have a business and it doesn't work out and it, it paralyzes, I think. Um, which of course means you don't achieve anything and, and you don't give it a go. And you just need to, if it, if it's, if your fear is really bad, then try it in a small way. You know, you don't have to go out and start pitching for millions when you've never had a business. You know, just try and do a little bit of dealing on the side. I think I say in the book, or maybe I've said in articles, but I'm still very fond of, of market trading as a way of starting de- wheeling and dealing and getting a feel for whether you could cope with pitching and d- ducking and diving for business. I, you know, it's, I don't think it's an accident. That so many great entrepreneurs have started that way. It's, it's, mornings experimenting.
0: Is there a way that you can overcome that fear? Because it can be quite debilitating for some people, so it stops them from even starting a business, right?
1: It can. I mean, which is, I, you know, I think you've just got to step it up. I mean, there's a, there's a guy in the book who um, took took very extreme measures by, by pure chance in that um, Bear grills um, he, yeah, he started yeah. working with and ended up in the Dolomites. Which um, sounds my idea of hell, too, being stuck in caves and the Dolomites, trying to overcome his fear of suffocation. But you know, if you go through extreme things, you do tend to get less fearful, at least for a while. But simply there was an acronym,
0: steps, wasn't there? That, there was an acronym for the for fear that Bear Grylls used. Fear. Oh
1: gosh, there was, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I forgot what it is now. Okay, you have to buy the book to, uh, <laughs> to buy the
1: Yes. It's a sort of know, face your yeah. fears and do it anyway, but that doesn't add up to fears. So I've clearly got it wrong.
0: <laughs> so uh, th- I think the one thing I really liked was that you got the heading of uh, "Is reality is the reality of failure so unpleasant or that unpleasant?" And I think that's again bringing it back to reality, right? Because you know, it's not the end of the world generally no. most time.
1: No, it's not anything. It's like all- almost all your fears, perhaps not quite all, but almost all your fears are just not as bad as you think they're going to be. You get yourself, or I know I do still over certain things, in such a stage about, oh, you know, that's going to be so awful. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know, and then you go and do it and you think, what was all that fuss <laughs> You know, it just isn't. It really isn't. And it's, you know, there's that old saying, it's one step on the road to success. Mm. It's a learning thing.
0: So one of my favorite topics now is coaching. Because I've interviewed many coaches on this uh, show. Some have been interesting, some have not. So, um, there's, it, it's the way that you treat coaching and mentorship. And it's very, it's very interesting. It's not, it's quite, I mean, it's very truthful. As is most of all of the book, really, it, it is very truthful. So, you know, out of you, out of all of the people that you interviewed and you know, what, what role really did coaches and mentors and uh, advisors play for how important? Different. It's
1: an interesting distinction, isn't it? Because, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstand, or misunderstand the word or, or the delivery of what a coach is, including some coaches, because there's so many people floating around who think coaches are going to come in and put the world to rights for you. And a good coach should not do that. They should be encouraging you. You know, if you, if you had a sports coach they wouldn't run your marathon for you they'd be standing Mm -hmm. on the sidelines and so should a business coach and unfortunately there are quite a few business coaches out there who used to have a business and think they know all the answers and proceed to tell you what to do which you know half the time it's 20 years out of date which is not good um so you know i think if you're a person who suits coaching then a good coach can be fantastic I think a mentor, which is something different altogether and is allowed to give you advice which you can choose to take or not, it can be absolutely fantastic, particularly in your own um sphere you know if you were in um what might you be in um retail somebody who who'd be in been in retail and made success of it is going to have that very specific insect insect and knowledge which uh, will be priceless to you. And you can keep it very short and specific, both for your time and for theirs, because they're not going to have that much time to give you. So I think a mentor is is gold dust, actually. Um And a coach is more optional, depending on whether it suits you.
0: So there's one podcast that's coming out this season, Um, hasn't been released yet. It's coming out in the next uh, couple of weeks. And... The quote from that guy is almost exactly the same as a quote that you've got in the book, which is, you know, not all, not all coaches or mentors or advisors know everything. So don't, you know, don't follow the advice blindly. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that you, you take all of the different pieces of advice, consider them and then move forward rather than just saying, Oh yeah, he said this, so I'll do that.
1: There is this temptation to look on coaches or mentors as, you know, the, the, great person that you've always dreamed of being and look up too much i think
0: so moving on to uh again another interesting topic for me was the incubators and accelerators right um again i've all the stories i hear from from them i think it again your, your book kind of does it very well is that there are certain accelerators and incubators which are very good certain which are very very bad uh but the ones who are very, very good. There seems to be very, very few of them, and to get into them is very, very hard. um And so the question then is whether you should even bother at all. So from your experience of the of the people that you've talked to, you know, is it is it something that is worth even pursuing? Because you've got you've got actually a whole bunch of them, right? You've got um the incubators, you've got the accelerators, and then there's the pre there's they've got different versions of them, right? Pre seed. Uh-huh. In it gets quite confusing after a while, uh, and then there's the startup program. So what do you think?
1: Well, you know, I think we have to, oddly enough, I was, I was writing at speed a, a blog on this <laughs> earlier for, for later in the month. Uh, but I think we have to remember it's a terribly new industry. You know, these accelerators and, uh, incubators and their varieties thereof didn't exist 10 years ago, you know, and all of a sudden they're in every university, every town, every body speaks to somebody else and then sets up an incubator or an accelerator, you know, and um, with any industry, you get something that's mushroomed to that degree, you get this catastrophic mix of quality. Uh, there's no regulation, you know, it's a big gamble to, to put yourself on one of those, and I think it's terribly important that you do an awful lot of research before deciding whether it's worthwhile. And and speak to people who've been to that particular accelerator.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think the the, the key thing is to understand the motivations of the accelerator. What are they mm-hmm. measured on, right? And if you if it's something where it's all about get, raising capital, then ultimately they're not really necessarily going to help you on the other aspects of your business, right? They may just be Absolutely. pushing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's matching matching what you want out of it. Um, you know, so, oh. contacts. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no, sorry. Yeah. So the next thing is personal development, right? So why is it that so few entrepreneurs spend time on themselves?
1: Well, i I speak, speak about myself on that one. I, I didn't, and goodness do I regret it, why didn't I? I think for two reasons. A, because I was too busy firefighting. Um, all the time. And there was never, it never seemed like a priority. It wasn't as urgent as anything else. It was always something that could be left. And I think there's also a big elephant, uh, elephant in the room about are we worth it? Should we be the priority? Um, you know, we, we oughtn't to take time off and do that because surely we've got to look after our people. And, you know, us going swanning off and doing a course for two weeks or whatever, you know, is, is going to put an awful strain on people. And, you know, we really mustn't do that. And I think it's very easy to forget that actually we are the business. The more we develop, the more the business will develop and, and we matter to that business, but, but in quality, we matter. And so that needs constant attention.
0: Yeah, I guess we kind of forget that you're an asset or a resource, right? So, you, mm. you know, you, if you, if you're running a delivery business, you look after your cars. If yeah, they're run down, yeah. they're never going to. Great. Yeah. So it's always an interesting one. Uh, money, <laughs>
1: money, 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 money. Yeah. yeah.
0: So again, you go through angels, VCs, equity, all the different types of f- funding, crowdfunding. Uh, VCs get a bad rap, right? Is that deserved?
1: well that was that was an interesting question and um you know i was I was pleased to find somebody in there who would say nice things but um you know because because they do they have a stinking reputation, and I've met some horrors and and had some really bad experiences you know and and they're going to be tough, of course they're going to be tough I mean even the guy who's nice about them in the book says um you know that actually. For all that, every time he gets uh, any um, terms or heads of terms or, or any contract or anything, there's still something changed, and uh, by the VCs, they can't quite resist trying to get a little bit better um, all the time. You know, they are, they they are, I think. I mean, it's difficult, you know, I, I'm, they, you know, <laughs> this is your field. I can't be too critical. Um, you know, but, um, yeah. but you know, you're good at what you do. You're going to want the best deal all the time. Not everybody's, there's, there's, I know what I'm trying to say. There's a huge sliding scale between being very, sharp on the detail and intent to get the best of themselves all the time, they are taking a risk too, to the real sharks who are also out there and should be the harpooned.
0: <laughs> Whatever you do to sharks, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It took me a moment, but definitely a harpoon would come in hand. You would want to do them.
0: But what do you think the biggest myths are then for for entrepreneurs when it comes to raising funds? Funds. What do, they, what do they? What do they think will happen? But actually, doesn't happen.
1: Well, I think for a starter, you know, we've got this new thing that um you know, the uninitiated think that raising funds means that you're a successful person, you know, and and it's not about almost setting up a business anymore. It's about putting together a pitch deck and raising some funds, and then life's going to be sorted, you know. So I think that. Actually, it's probably one of the biggest myths that I see. Uh, I think I'm still a fan of bootstrapping if it suits you and if you can do it and you've got patience. Uh, you know, there's a lot going for it, it's not the answer for every business and every person. But um, you know, the the only uh, you know uh, only um, funded businesses are good businesses. I think is a huge myth.
0: Mm, that's true. I think what people tend to forget is that once you have an investor on board, there's someone else looking over your shoulder, right? Um, Very much so. And it, and because it's not your money, they're they're really going to be sitting there scrutinizing the pennies that you you spend. And I think that's, that's why I think bootstrapping is, if you like you say, if you can do it, it's a great option because you know you're yeah. you're free to make your own decisions much more.
1: Very much so. But yes, you're right. I mean, you know, there is, uh, it it comes as a shock to many people. I remember the guy actually who, who, talking to him, who's, who's in the beginning of the book, Jeremy Warner, who's another of the examples of why, but I remember him telling me that you know he was absolutely horrified by the volume of reporting he had to do for to his investors you know which took huge chunks out of his business time and he was thinking But well, i need to work on my business and like you know they're demanding i spend two days on this monthly report all the time but you know it's their money
0: exactly that's the thing so, uh, so f- from raising funds uh, f- how easy was it for the for the the guys that you Interview to, to actually get the money and, and were they mostly raising intelligent money? Was there a kind of difference in the, in, in the, in the, in the types of money they took?
1: oh Well, as you rightly say, you know, we, I talk to people raising money in all sorts of different ways, uh, you know, from angels to pro different sorts of crowdfunding onwards. You know, I love the story of, um, the Australian company who, who were uh, this scramble story of, um, with Y Combinator, uh, you know, where it, it was only right at the last minute because they got the time scale between California and Australia wrong that they even managed to get the their, their pitch, their, sort of written bit of a pitch in. And so they thought they'd fluff that. And then they flew out there, three of them flew out out of the five from whatever, because the other two couldn't make it. And they all were ending up coming from different places in the world. And one was so jet lagged they could hardly stand up. And the other two went out to dinner the night before and managed to get food poisoning. So they could hardly stand up, you know. And yet they still managed to get through the Y Combinator and raise funds and be part of that cohort which is it's incredible you know there are huge and unlikely
0: success stories um, that is very uh, true But don't so you... let's get yeah that, that, that's the case um so let's talk a little bit about the, the so this is all about the beginning so once you've got the product and it's out there you know and you're looking at product market fit talking to the customers from what you saw as as and if we can take, let's say, I guess say testing and market. So you have, you have one thing is testing and the other one's market. Well, once you've got the testing right and you're out to market, you know, how are the companies, you, well, is there any commonality between the companies that you've talked to and how they've managed to scale and grow their business? I
1: think commonalities, you know, they're so different sectors and um different different as you said different sizes and all sorts i think for the bigger ones a lot of it has been about recruiting the right people um mm. to, to help them grow and the right people at the right stage too you know because if you recruit vastly expensive people too early not only is your bank balance going to suffer but actually everything's going to go wrong because those people aren't going to work out because they won't get a start-up um, in that early stage, and, and that's all wrong. You can't over promote your early staff because they're not going to be up to growing. You know, there's a huge skill level, I think, in the people who've succeeded in forming the team to go up at the right points in time. So I'd probably pick that up fairly high.
0: And so moving on to HR, what have been the kind of issues that you've seen when people have have been hiring? Cause I mean, there must have been some horror stories there, right? I, I know we talked about culture, but you know, what are the worst things that you saw? What are the bigger mistakes that people do, made? Oh,
1: I mean, I've made most of them, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, probably cornered the market and them, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think it, it, it was one of the interesting things. And another reason I was so desperate to do this book was, of course, that Stark came out right at the point of, of the beginning of the COVID. And hmm. so there was the mass office exodus. And then, you know, there's been this. Are we a hybrid company? Are we going to force everybody back to the office? And what are the advantages of all, all of those? And how do you maintain culture with people in the office? And, and all was going on. And it, it, it was missing, of course, in scale because it really barely existed as a problem. And though all those issues have become enormous since then. Uh, and I really wanted to focus on, on how people were managing to create the right balance between letting people enjoy their work, be free to work at home and have a life and yet still have a, a culture that meshes.
0: So one of the things there is as you scale, obviously, you know, it's harder to employ the first person first five people than the the To go from like 500 to 550 right because then the culture set so were there any tips or you know lessons learned when it got to that level of move? you know the early stage of moving and ensuring that the culture is is maintained and not lost and then you know what kind of tipping point do you have then
1: yeah i think you know that's where bringing in the right people at right time at the right level becomes so crucial because, um, you know, you've got to have gradually other leaders other than you who are going to reinforce the same culture as, as it spreads out and grows. And so you have people who initially might still be doers coming in who, because they're a brilliant this or marketing or whatever. But they've also got to be people who are capable of morphing in and growing with the company sufficiently that they're going to become directors of marketing or are you going to bring in a director of marketing later on or whatever. But those people have got to be so aligned to your culture that you've created uh, and so that everybody's on the same page and that takes a lot of work. And I think as companies grow, it's that that probably is one of the major focuses for people have to do. They have to let other stuff go and mm. keep that as, as their time focus.
0: Power of delegation. There's actually a really, a couple of good stories in there on, on, uh, on innovating in recruitment and how you can hire, like be a little bit less, uh, traditional in the way that you yeah. are. I think that there's, there's some good stories there. Um, Actually, so that's, uh, well, I kind of moving near, nearing the end of the, of the podcast now. So let's talk about the last chapter. Cause I think I found that the most interesting, uh, from a tech point of view, not simply because a lot of what you're saying in there is, is, is relevant to the, to the industry I'm in and, you know, staying relevant, staying above ahead of the curve, you know, with, uh, I can't tell you how many discussions I've had recently where people have said to me, chat, GPT is going to take my job. It's going to destroy my business. Oh, and
1: yeah, chat GPT.
0: And you're like, well, not really. If that's what it takes to destroy your business, you've got to wonder what your business is doing <laughs> in the first place, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, how are the companies dealing with the constant innovation that's going on in, in the world at the moment?
1: I think the wise ones are observing it, taking it on board, and discarding a lot of it because it won't be relevant to their business. You know, you can easily get, Frightened by it, because it's change um it, and deciding if something looks relevant enough to it to investigate it further as part of of what they do, but you know if you've got a strong business with strong skills um and and more than more than strong skills strong culture, you can adapt as you said, you know you can uh, adapt and tweak and move and pivot and reform. And still have a business in a slightly altered market, so it shouldn't be that scary. Um, mm. But you know, it's it's if there's an awful lot of businesses who are we do this and that's what we do, and somebody's going to take it away from us because we're always going to do the same thing. Well, yeah, you know, life will change and it will come along, and they won't have any work eventually.
0: How how do you think all the guys that you talk to are positioned? I guess a lot of them probably were not. Uh, you know, In their businesses anymore, or were, were kind of towards the end of their careers, maybe. But generally, maybe some of the younger ones, how did you, how did you, how did they kind of feel? They have a kind of positive sense of the, of the next few years?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, uh, I think my, most of them seem very young to me, but that's the age I am at. But, um, you know, actually, I think they were all positive and it kept me constantly refreshed. You know, there's, um, Again, again, I seem to be citing Australia today, for which I apologise, but um, Michael Holmstrong in the book, uh, who is um, head of a company called, a funder and head of a company called Stempunks in Australia, but who is very, very, very strong globally now in innovation. And, you know, whenever I listen to him talk, um, which I've been lucky enough to do a few times. He, he demystifies and de-frightens def people of change. He's brilliant about it. Uh, and you know, it, it ceases. It becomes something more exciting that, mm. you know, actually things could be better for the change rather than everything's going to be taken away. And I think that's the secret is to look for, could this make things better? And how?
0: That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I guess my last question really is, Jan, why should people read your book?
1: Well, I hope it will give them – it depends. If if they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, they definitely should read it because I do think, thanks to the people in it, it does give a very good picture of what it's like, and and I don't think you have any idea of what it's like unless you've been there. So, So that is one very good reason. The people again in the book, and I, I mean, I, yes, you've, I, I've tried very hard to write a good book, and thank you for saying it, but, um, I, it would be not anything like what it is without generosity and the honesty of the people, uh, who have given really real pictures, talked endlessly about their successes, yes, but their failures as well. So, so you learn so much. And uh, uh, as again, I think you said, even if you're quite far into your journey, it will s- suddenly people say, you know, oh, it made me scratch my head and think, actually, oh, even I could do something different now, or I could approach that differently, or it'll give me a different slant on what it's like. Um, you know, courtesy of, of of the honesty and generosity of people in it.
0: No, I, I as I said at the very beginning, I think this is probably the best book I've come across like, best material I've come across in general for anyone looking to start uh, a business and some of the some of the stories in there definitely resonate I kind of feel now that um, there's a couple of things I learned especially the hiring thing well, I found very interesting because it was just a different way of thinking right and I think for anyone who's in a business it's good to read this book because it gives you that other other people's views of how they're tackling similar problems yeah. to what you're going through and i kind of now have to go back to scale for success because you know we're in that scaling mode and, and now i realize i need to go back and read those those stories because perhaps now they'll make a lot more sense than they did a couple of years back when we were a little bit smaller um so yeah it's great uh, so definitely
1: well thank you i'd say th- i think you know i mean start as we say is, is a much it, much bigger project so mm. you know necessarily there's there's much more information and and you know it isn't just as a for starting point but you know it, it does go on a bit and it's a lot about foundations isn't it it's, it's about looking and setting it up right from the start learning from all our mistakes and uh, not hopefully making the same ones
0: no so where is it all available then, Jane? How can, how can people read the book?
1: Good question. Yes, they can. <laughs> and, um, uh, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I will forget just to sort say the <laughs> obvious but, but Um, but they could get it from all the usual places. They can get it from Amazon. Star of Success is there Or on paperback, hardback and Kindle. Um, and they can get it. Where else can they get it? Barnes and Noble. Um, all, all the easy places. Um, you know, and if, if they are, are somewhere obscure that they can't get hold of any of those, come to my website and there's some links on there or I will direct you to your nearest stockist.
0: And that is Jancavell.com. Or dot oh, co UK, sorry. So J A N C A V E L L E dot co dot UK. That's right. Excellent. Well it's been a pleasure talking to you again. I hope I wish time. you all the best with the book. I'm I'm now gonna go and write a review on Amazon. Uh, oh, that's
1: so kind. Lovely. I was going to say, you know, if anybody out there's listening and they do enjoy it, I would love a review for to support everybody who who has been so kind in the book. Thanks a lot, Jan. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening yeah. to the podcast. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe with the Atom Ventures podcast, and you can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the great podcasting sites. Please also leave a review, and if you want to get in contact, then please visit our site, atomcto.com. You can find us on LinkedIn under Atom Ventures and Atom CTO, and you can email us at info at atomcto.com.